Well, as I shared today, we're kicking off a brand new series called Build the Future. Would y'all say Build the Future with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Build the Future. And I'm excited about this series because it gives us an opportunity to talk about the thing that you're thinking about, which is the future. Uh, we're coming to the end of the year, and if you're anything like me, you're beginning to think about uh, what the future might hold. And this question, how do you build the future, it's an important one because of this. Um, the fact is that we're building something. We're either building a relationship, we're building a future with our family, we're building a future for our church. And what I know is that great careers don't happen by accident, and great lives don't happen by accident either. They happen by intention. In fact, I would say great life-giving churches, they don't happen by accident either. And I don't think we could pick a better time to talk about building the future in your life and really in our community's life than right now because of the unique reality that we find ourselves in. I don't know if you know this, but in three weeks, we will celebrate the one-year anniversary of Here to Stay, this initiative that we kicked off last year uh, to raise uh, and fund the development of a permanent facility here in Lake Nona. And 200 families and individuals committed $1.8 million last year, uh, and what seemed like a vision and a hope and a dream is becoming a reality. We broke ground in August, over 54% of those commitments have already come in. Concrete has been poured. The electrical has been laid. And we're expecting our steel, which is the most important part, to arrive at the end of November. Can we celebrate that and thank God for what's going on in the life of our church? So as we come into the last few weeks of 2022, here's what I know. You're thinking about the future. What will next year look like? What kind of bonus will I get? What is the economy going to do? Who's going to win the midterm elections? There's all of these questions that we're asking right now. And what I know is that the future, man, it's uncertain. And uncertainty can lead to worry inside of us. Worry can lead to a need for wanting to control. And oftentimes what I find is that wanting to control outcomes leads to regret in our life. So how do we build a future when it feels like so many aspects of our future can be uncertain? It makes the words of Jesus and Matthew 6 both beautiful to hear but hard to believe. Jesus says this. He says, do not worry. Everybody say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Do not worry. One more time. Do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles strive after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, what's it say? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. Now, can we just agree that these words might sound good, but it is very hard to live out? Can I get a good amen, right? It is hard to live this way. It's hard to not worry about what the economy is doing. It's hard to not worry about what our kids' future is going to look like with school. It's hard to not worry where we're going to go to college. It's hard to not worry about what is going to happen at the end of the year. These are real things that we feel, but what I want to do over the next three weeks is invite us into a way of living, perhaps even what I would describe a way of practicing out our faith that allows us to become people that build the future even in the midst of uncertainty. 
And what's interesting to me is that as we enter into this time, all we're going to do for the next three weeks is focus in on one verse. And you might think, man, that verse better be long, right? It's actually not. It's a short verse. But this verse that we're going to look at over the next three weeks, it has shaped my life. I've been praying it since 2016 for my own life, for my family, and for our church. It has been an anchor for us in seasons where we've not known what the future is going to hold. Uh, this verse that we're going to study over the next three weeks, it has given me peace in the midst of stress, joy in the midst of heartache, and hope in the midst of hopelessness. And this verse that we're going to study together, it's found in an obscure book in an obscure part of the Bible. It's a prayer that was first prayed by a man who had a future that was uncertain. He had reason to be concerned, and he was confused by God's choices. If that is you, then you're going to find yourself in the story over the next couple of weeks. Asking questions like, God, why did you, or why didn't you, or how come I can't know, or what is going to happen? This is the story of the man that we're going to look at. In fact, in the first chapter of this very small book, a book called Habakkuk, and the only reason why I'm telling you it now is so that you can go and find it, because it might take you about half an hour to find it. It's a small book called Habakkuk. The reason why we look at this story is because, because Habakkuk, he's a, he's a minor prophet, which doesn't mean that what he said was less important than the major prophets. It just means that it was a lot more concise, which is kind of how you like your preaching, right? This is Habakkuk. And in chapter 1, he asks God a question. God, why do you let unjust things happen? And then God responds. And then in chapter 2, he's like, God, I don't like your response, so I'm going to ask you again. Anybody been there before? And what I love about Habakkuk is that he reminds us that God invites our questions. God invites our worries. God invites our concerns. Not one time in the story of Habakkuk do you find God telling Habakkuk, hey, stop asking your questions. I don't like your questions. That's not the heart of God. So after two chapters of wrestling with God, we finally get to chapter 3, where what we find is that authentic questions lead to authentic worship. Because although Habakkuk doesn't get all of the answers he wants and his future still feels uncertain, he has the audacity to pray this prayer. The prayer that I've been praying for my life, for my family, and for our church since 2016. The prayer that has held us together when we planted this community in a YMCA and had no idea what the future would look like. The prayer I prayed when I was sitting there waiting to get a diagnosis from the doctor, not knowing if what I had was benign or if it was metastatic. The prayer that I prayed during the pandemic when we didn't have a place to stay or a place to meet and we had no idea what the future would hold. That's the prayer I want to commend to you over the next three weeks because it's how we build a future. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. This is how you build the future. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Over the next three weeks, we're going to learn this. That to become a people that build the future, we need to become a people of remembrance, a people of presence, and a people of passion. 
And today we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a people of remembrance. With that in mind, would you go to the Lord with me in prayer? Father, I pray that in the next few moments you would help, that you would help me communicate clearly, that you would give me the exact words that you want spoken into this room so that lives would be changed, God, you would be exalted, and we would be different people. These are the things we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen. How do you build the future? You build the future by first becoming a people of remembrance. What we find in verse 2 is that Habakkuk has heard and he has seen. Uh, He starts in a midst of uncertainty, not starting with what his situation currently is, but by pausing and looking back at the God who has been. I would put it to you this way, that looking back gives us the courage we need to move forward. If you're taking notes, this phrase, Lord, I've heard of your fame, I stand in awe of your deeds, it's, it's a pretty simple phrase, but it gives us two beautiful pictures. The first one is this, is that hearing, Lord, I've heard of your fame, hearing gives us hope. Write that down in your notes. Hearing gives us hope. Reminds you of Romans chapter 10, verse 17, when Paul says this, consequently, faith comes by what? It comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. What we know about Habakkuk, this prophet, is that he had a reservoir, a deep reservoir of stories to remember God's power, his protection, and his provision. So in the midst of a time that felt uncertain, Habakkuk could lean in on and draw from this deep well, this deep reservoir of the stories that he had heard about a God who could. Uh, When I was a kid, I grew up with something called a flannel graph. Do you guys, did you guys grow up with these? Quick raise of hands if you grew up with a flannel graph. Yeah. Uh, if you grew up like a church kid like me, the flannel graph was what like this usually angry, kind of uh, not kind Sunday school teacher would use, right, to try to tell you Bible stories. And you never really paid attention, right? And if you grew up in the church that I grew up in, we were, uh, we were po, like we couldn't afford the O and the R, like we were that poor as a church. And so what ended up happening is like we would use the same characters every week, but they would become different people. Like this guy right here, it could be Joseph, it could be Moses, man, it could be Reuben, it could be Enoch, like man, in a pinch it could be Paul. If you really were in trouble, it could be Jesus and this was his cross. I mean, we got really creative. You guys remember this. And what was crazy about the flannel graph is that is that we would be told all of these ancient stories about who God was and what God did and and how God moved in powerful ways. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I didn't remember or pay attention to a lot of that as a kid. But what I've found to be so inspiring in my own life is that these very stories that I learned about when I was a child that were put on a flannel graph, man, they have shaped my life. Uh, this week, my son, he uh, saw me playing with this flannel graph, and he explained to me the entire story of Jacob and Esau. And I was blown away because he's learning that in environments like Nona Kids that we create and your generosity develops, where kids are learning about these very kinds of stories. And it's these stories that Habakkuk grew up on that he had heard, he had not seen, but he had heard that inspired him to believe in a God who could. Habakkuk grew up knowing that God actually made Abraham a great nation, that God actually gave Sarah a child in old age, that God actually provided Joseph to save Israel during a famine, that God actually saved baby Moses in a basket floating down the Nile, that God actually freed the people of Israel with that very baby who would become a man. 
And that God actually made the sun stand still when they walked into the promised land. These would have been stories that Habakkuk would have heard growing up. And what I love is that what Habakkuk is drawing on as a deep reservoir of the stories he's heard about God's faithfulness, you and I have access to something that he didn't have, which is all of the stories after Habakkuk of God's continued faithfulness, of all of the stories in the New Testament of God's continued faithfulness. I mean, in Hebrews chapter 11, we get to this moment in the New Testament where the church has been birthed and they are experiencing incredible oppression by the Roman Empire. I mean, to be a Christian in the first century meant you lost your job, you lost your family, you lost your money, you lost your home, and you lost all protection. Anybody saying, I would like to sign up for that kind of life. You want to talk about an uncertain future? Forget who's going to win the midterm elections. Imagine watching your best friend dragged off by the Roman Empire and then murdered in a Colosseum and wondering if you're next. This is what people in the first century are feeling as they're wondering about what the future is going to be like. And so the author of Hebrews pens a letter to those that are feeling the fear and anxiety of not knowing what's to come and wondering what the future is going to look like. And he lays out for them story after story after story of characters in the Old Testament that knew and saw the kindness of God. And then... This writer concludes by saying this, and what more shall I say? In other words, there's a whole lot more where that came from. I do not have time to tell about Gideon. Do you guys know about Gideon? Barak, not the president, but the one in the Old Testament. Samson and Jephthah about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms. Listen to this. Through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, shout out Daniel, quenched the fury of the flames that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. He's saying, listen, I know things look bad and it looks uncertain, but you belong to a God who has always been faithful. And not only that, in Hebrews 13, to conclude it all, he says this, that Jesus Christ is the same. What does it say? Yesterday and today and forever. Which means that all of these stories that have been documented in this thing called the Scripture that we call the Bible, they serve as a reminder to us of what kind of heritage we have, what kind of father we belong to, and where our hope is found. And our hope is found in the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which means if he did it then, he can do it now because that's the kind of God he is. So it begins to lead me to ask this question. What have you been listening to? Like I want you to be honest with me just for a moment. Have you been spending more time scrolling on your feed which is designed by an algorithm to give you more bad news to keep you engaged because the more engaged you are, the more money they make. Have you spent more time listening to podcasts, scrolling on a feed, or watching cable TV news than you have been opening your Bible and allowing the stories of God's faithfulness to shape you? We're stressed. We're worried. We're anxious. Could it be because we're not allowing the stories of God to remind us of who we actually are? And what really is true? 
That's why I think that sharing our stories are so important. One of the great gifts I have is getting to be a pastor is I get to sit down with people and hear, hear about how God has moved in their life. And over the last couple of months, I've heard incredible stories because what we allow ourselves to listen to will have a profound effect on where we place our hope. Over the last couple of months, I've heard stories in our church of a couple who endured unimaginable betrayal, experienced forgiveness, and built a strong marriage that has lasted decades. I've heard stories of a leader who I got a vision to see his continent come to know the gospel and led a movement that shared the gospel with 50 million people on the continent of Africa. You want to talk about something that gives you hope? That there's a God who's still at work. I've heard stories of a mother walking into medical office with a horrible terminal diagnosis and walking out with the doctor saying there's no explainable reason, but the cancer is gone. I've had conversations with people who gave up on having kids after years of praying or trying, but took a step of faith entering into the adoption process, and their family is whole now, and they feel a sense of God's provision. Now, I'm not telling you these stories to discount the ones that don't end that way, but I've heard too many stories at this point in my life to not know that God can do the impossible and have some hope that he will. And we live in a culture where bad news fills the headlines because that's what keeps us engaged. If it bleeds, it leads. And I know so many people that have made regretful decisions that have knocked them off of their purpose because of what they had or who they had in their ear. So just be honest for a moment. I want to ask you this question. Take an inventory of your life. For every minute you've spent scrolling or listening to talk radio, how many of those minutes have you spent in Scripture reminding yourself of the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever? You will build a future built on fear and paranoia if the loudest voice in your ear is not the voice of God. But you will build a future fueled by hope and belief and faith if you allow the story of God and who he's been, not only in the scripture, but in the lives of the people around you, to inspire you to believe that the God who did is the God who is and the God who will be. And I can trust him. I can take Jesus at his word when he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Because nothing I've ever done in my life about worrying about tomorrow has ever helped me other than make today worse. But when I trust that God is good and I allow his voice to be the loudest voice, that's how I build a future worth living. Lord, I have heard of your fame. But he doesn't stop there. He says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. This phrase, stand in awe of your deeds, it's supposed to invoke in us this sense that Habakkuk hasn't just heard some things, he's seen some things. You ever been around a person who's like, I've seen some things? This is Habakkuk. Now, we don't know what it is that Habakkuk has seen, but we do know that what he has seen has led him to awe. He says, I stand in awe. 
Paul Tripp has a great book, aptly titled Awe. And the argument that he makes is that the primary thing that you need in your life isn't a promotion, isn't a new relationship, isn't to lose 15 pounds. The primary thing that you need in your life is awe. You were created and designed for awe, for wonder. That's the reason why God created the world that he created. Tripp has this great line. He said, God created an awesome world. God intentionally loaded the world with amazing things to leave you astounded. The carefully air-conditioned termite mound in Africa, the tart crunchiness of an apple, the explosion of thunder, the beauty of an orchid, the interdependent systems of the human body, the inexhaustible pounding of the ocean waves, and thousands, if not millions, of other created sights, sounds, touches, and tastes. God designed all to be awesome, and he intended you to be daily amazed. See, the problem that we have in our world is that we're not amazed at things that we should be amazed by. Like, just stop for a minute and realize this, that as you're sitting here right now, there is blood pumping through your body that is moving through your heart, being sent to the right and appropriate extremities. As I speak, your eyes are taking in what it's seeing. Your, your brain is interpreting these words. It is storing information. It is putting things away that you will recall later on. It is doing all of this at the same time while you are breathing in some kind of compound that you did not create, that if that compound was taken away in a moment, you would not be here. All of that is happening right now. That should lead us to amazement. But unfortunately, we allow amazing things to become stale things. And we forget that the very breath we're breathing right now, we're not in control of. The very seat that you sat in, did you inspect it before you sat down? You just trusted that it was going to hold you up, Lord of mercy, right? The things that we think we are in control of are minuscule. The things we're actually in control of are minuscule. The things that we think we're in control of is massive. And when we spend our life trying to control the things that we were never meant to control, we lose awe that we're not in control of it. And yet, God still does. So Habakkuk says, I stand in awe of your deeds. Now, we don't know what Habakkuk is referring to, but we can infer that what Habakkuk is referring to is something called Ebenezer. And here's the reason why. Um, Habakkuk is afraid that the Babylonian Empire is going to come and evade Judah, where he lives. He's afraid of what the future is going to hold. And he's living in a place called Judah where a couple of miles away on a really high mountain and a really high hill, uh, there is a huge rock that has been standing there for decades, if not centuries, called Ebenezer. And that rock has been standing there in the wilderness for years as a reminder to every succeeding generation of the people of God that when it seemed like there was no help on the horizon, God came and gave people help. So I imagine that as 
as Habakkuk is reflecting on the reality he's facing and the uncertainty of his future, his eyes are lifted to this particular place where a huge stone called Ebenezer is standing. And he's saying, I stand in awe of your deeds. In 1 Samuel chapter 4 through 7, there's a story of the people of Israel that Habakkuk would have grown up with, knowing that the, that the people of Israel had rebelled against God and the Philistines, not the Babylonians, but a, a different version of that. The Philistines would come and attack Israel, and they would steal the Ark of the Covenant, which people believed was where the presence of God was. I'm not talking about no Indiana Jones Ark of the Covenant. I'm talking about the actual Ark of the Covenant. And the people of Israel are afraid. They don't know how this is going to end. So they go to this place near Mishpah, and they pray, and they ask God for forgiveness. And when the huge Philistine army comes to crush them, God, in a supernatural way, saves them and allows them to win. And Samuel, the prophet, takes a huge stone and he stacks a bunch of other stones on top of it at a high enough place that people can see it from all around. And he builds a monument to remind every succeeding generation that this is where God helped us. God just doesn't say he's going to do good things. God actually does good things. And I would imagine years later, Habakkuk is looking at Ebenezer saying, Lord, I have heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. A couple of weeks ago, Stacey and I uh, were speaking in Pennsylvania, and we decided to make it a family trip. So we took our kids uh, to Pennsylvania. We had a great time in Amish country. It's beautiful out there. I gained five pounds, lots of butter. And then we went into Philadelphia. And it was really fun because my daughter, my oldest daughter, she's learning about, like, American government. We got to take her on a tour of Independence Hall where she stood, to quote Lin-Manuel Miranda, in the room where it happened, where democracy was birthed. And the guide pointed to the chair that George Washington sat in when these debates raged on. And the table where James Madison and Alexander Hamilton sat. And I was just moved, realizing that where I was standing hundreds of years ago, this thing called democracy would come alive. This is what Ebenezer was for the people of God. It was a reminder of where they had been. Ebenezer means God has helped us thus far. See, see what the, the people of God were really good at was memorializing and remembering the faithfulness of God in the past so that people could see with their own eyes how God had been faithful. There's a great quote that says this, every Christian family, and I would say individual, should take conscious and disciplined measures to cultivate tradition and memory. But there is an even more compelling reason. Namely, God's word dramatically recommends that all believing families cultivate both spiritual memory and spiritual traditions to com commemorate and celebrate God's goodness. Here's my challenge as you think about the building the future. I want you to pause and look back. Uh, there's a stone that you have on your chair. I want you to pick that up right now. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything with it right now in the midst of service. But the reason why we've given you that stone is because there's been a moment in your life where God met you in a powerful way. 
There's a story where you've seen God's hand and you've seen his kindness and you need to remember what it is. And I want to encourage you, whether or not it's with uh, your family or whether or not it's with your community group or if it's by yourself, to write down or to jot down a word or a phrase on that stone to remind you that God has helped you so far. And then to place that stone in a spot where you're going to see it every single day. The same way the people of Israel would have seen that Ebenezer every single day and been reminded. No matter how crazy things seem, no matter how out of step things are, there's a God who is in control, who has helped us and will not stop. It's why we're so passionate at Nona about telling the same stories over and over and over again about how God has provided for our church because we want to be a community that never forgets it's the hand of God that has held us together and moved us forward. It's why I talk about how we receive the land as often as I can. And many of you know the story, but you've never heard the story by flannel graph, which is what I'm going to do right now. In 2017, Eric Butts and I, this is Eric because he's got red, head, red, red hair, he's a president of our board. Eric Butts and I and Stacy, we hosted a number of meals. I'm sorry, Stacy, the best I got. We hosted a series of meals with a group of people imagining what a permanence could look like for us here in our community. In 2017, when we're hosting these meals, we have no land, just hope and a dream. We're believing because we've heard of a God who's provided in the past that God might provide for us now. What we did not know is that there was a gentleman, a friend of mine by the name of Greg, and Greg would end up going to a real estate conference. And at that conference, he would randomly, as we thought, but we know now that it was the Lord, sit next to a man by the name of Tim. Everybody say hi, Tim. A man named Tim. And Tim and Greg would have a conversation over three days that would eventually lead Tim to tell Greg that he just bought five and a half acres of land on Narcusi Road. And Greg would say, that's amazing. What do you want to do with it? And he would say, well, I want to take this land. That's the land, by the way. I want to take this land and I want to sell it. And Greg said, well, I think I know of somebody, this is me, I think I might know of somebody who might want to purchase that land because they're trying to build a church. And then Greg and Tim would talk more. And Greg would ask Tim, Tim, why is it that you decided to buy land in the first place in this area? And Tim would say, well, I was listening to a podcast about this young college kid who got into the land buying business. And I said, if a college kid can do it, I can do it. Well, what Tim didn't know but later found out, as Greg found out as well, was that the young man being interviewed on that podcast was Greg's very son. So Tim bought land inspired by Greg's son, which led to Greg hearing about the land. And Greg told me and told Eric and told our team. And while we didn't have land hosting these meals, Greg and Tim agreed to sign documents that would allow that land to become our land. And that very land is where a permanent facility is being built today. Don't tell me God can't do it because he does. Which is why photos like this one of my family are so important to me. Because we're standing in awe 
of the thing that God has done. And we're memorializing the moment. And we're marking the moment. Because it's just as important for them to know that the God that they've heard about is a God that they can see. Because God doesn't want to simply leave us with the flannel graph faith. He wants to give us a first-hand one. Lord, I've heard of your fame, but I stand in awe, or I stand on what you have done. What you've done. How you've met us. The way in which you've moved. So as you think about building a future, let me ask you this question. Who have you been listening to? And what are you looking at? Habakkuk doesn't look at the Babylonian Empire. He looks at Ebenezer. He looks at the monument that reminds him and people for generations to come that the God who was is the God who is and the God who will be. And it's not just Habakkuk in the Old Testament. It's quite literally the church in the new. On the, our faith, the reason why we gather in a room like this, the reason why our faith has been sustained for 2,000 years, our faith was built on the foundation of someone else's vision for the future because of what they had seen and heard. 1 John chapter 4, the church is now alive. Jesus has now resurrected. And John is writing to churches, not knowing that what he's writing then, we would be reading 2,000 years later. And I want you to pay attention to how many times he refers to what he has seen and what he has heard. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have gazed upon and touched with our own hands. This is the word of life. And this is the life that was revealed. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and what? Heard. So that you also may have fellowship with us. And this fellowship of ours is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You are a part of a seen and heard faith. You are a part of a seen and heard experience because you serve a seen and heard God that wants to take flannel graph stories and make them firsthand ones in your life. So how do you build the future? You don't look at the world because the world will leave you worried. You don't look at the, the newsreel because the newsreel will leave you cloudy. You do what the author of Hebrews says. You fix your eyes on our Ebenezer, Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who has shown us and modeled for us that he's not going anywhere, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I don't know what you're holding on to. I don't know what it is that you're carrying this morning. I don't know if the future you want to build is about a relationship or about a career or about where you're going. But I know that there is a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it would be foolish of us to try to build a future without stopping and pausing to look back 
at what we have seen and what we have heard. So we give you a stone today, a stone of remembrance so that you might be able to hold in your hand and reflect over the course of this week, how has God been good to you? Where did he give you grace when you didn't deserve it? Where did he show up in ways you didn't expect him to? How did he provide for friendships and relationships when you didn't have any? God has been good, I promise you. And if you would just pause like Habakkuk and say, Lord, I have heard of your fame. And I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to stand in awe of your deeds. That's how we build a future worth walking into together. With that in mind, would you stand today? And if you have that stone, would you just hold it in your hand? With every eye closed and every head bowed, as you hold that stone this morning, I want to ask you a question. What's your Ebenezer? What's the story of God's faithfulness in your life? And perhaps if it's hard to believe that there is a story, maybe it's just the fact that there's breath in your lungs right now. But he has been better than we deserve. He has been kinder than we merited. He's been good. If you feel a sense of fear about the future, you find yourself worried about what's around the corner, I want to invite you now to open your hand as a sign to God and so I know who I'm praying for. If you've been in a place where you've been focused way too much on headlines instead of the story of Scripture, would you open your hand? If you found yourself worrying about outcomes that were never yours to control, and you sense God inviting you right now to place that worry and concern in his hands, would you respond as well? Because here's what I know, that you serve a God, a God who you've heard about, a God who has given you story after story after story in his word and in your life of his faithfulness. Some of you have seen firsthand God come through in ways you never imagined he could or would. And before you go running off trying to build a future, stop and pause and remember that the God that was in the past is the God that is here today and the God that will be here tomorrow because he's the same God, a God that we can trust a God who loves us and is for us. So Father, give us the faith we need to believe that. Allow us to hear your voice so that we can hope and to see your work so we might grow in confidence. These are the things we pray today.